Prophetic Counseling, Week 1. Oh, it's just such an honor to be with you here today and to be able to empower and equip and to give you revelation. You know, I just want to start by making a statement. Brokenness is complex, but healing is simple. Take them back to their Creator. So many people believe that the, the level of healing is according to the level of brokenness. But that's not true. The point is brokenness is complicated. How broken is broken? It's broken. That's the truth. But we serve the God of healing. The Bible says in Psalm 23 that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down. And so often when we're broken, we want to stand and fight. Or we want to withdraw. And we want to, we want to build up all kinds of walls against everybody. But God says, when I'm involved, I make you lie down. And you know, it was such a revelation for me when I asked him about this. And he said, what do you do with a screaming baby? You make them lie down. You hush them. It's all going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. And he takes us into his arms and he says, it's all going to be okay. And he takes our broken little people around us and he puts, us into, he puts them into his arms and he says, it's all going to be okay. And then it says he restores our soul. And so God's plan is for every person to come into restoration. You see, my friends, we're all born into a broken world. And we all, the, the Bible says that every one of us sinned and fell short of the glory of God. But every single one of us had a predestined created state. And that predestined created state is like looking at an original crystal vase. And I wish I had one today that I could smash and show you. But I don't. But, and if you look at that original crystal vase, it's flawless. It's absolutely beautiful and it's absolutely flawless. So I want you to say to the person next to you, I was created flawless. Uniquely, wonderfully, beautifully, perfectly flawless. I was created in the image of God. I was created not only in His image but in His likeness. I was created to look like Abba Father. And then sin came along, and the fall of man came along, and the whole lot of trash on our bloodline came along, and a whole lot of the influence of the evil one in our atmosphere came along. And we started believing the deception that said you're less than what you were created to be. And people come into healing not from others pointing out how broken they are, but from others lifting their eyes to see what the original state looked like. And if we, if we look at somebody from how broken they are and we try and bring them into wholeness by patching them, that's like permanently putting a cast on their leg and saying, your leg is broken, I'm putting a cast on it for the rest of your life, you're going to need that cast. My friends, who needs anything for the rest of their life? They need the revelation of what their created state looked like. And there's a whole lot of stuff and there's a whole lot of brokenness and there's a whole lot of isms that are out there in the world. And I want to tell you now, the wisdom of this world, no matter how clever they are, cannot heal a broken soul. It can scaffold a broken soul. It can put plaster on a broken soul. It can take a broken soul and make a way for them to cope. But it cannot heal them. But God's intention isn't for us to have coping skills. 
And it's good for a season to have coping skills. If I broke my leg today, I would go and have a plaster cast put on it. I wouldn't walk around with a wobbly leg and say, well, it's going to be fine, and then it sets all skew. So there sometimes are times where we're needing some support system for a little while, for a little while, so that we can come into the full restoration of our soul. Because once that happens, we are then able to see the fullness of God's intention. And I want you to understand that God's intention is for every one of us, your children, your beautiful children, the children that you're going to work with as a teacher, for every one of us to be restored back to our created state. And the truth of the matter is that the very anointing that Jesus carried, the very glory that he carried, he said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, Isaiah 61. That's the first step. You can't heal anybody without the spirit of the sovereign Lord being on you. So what is the most important thing for us to do? It's getting so much into the presence of God that it is the spirit of the sovereign Lord and the power of the anointing of the Holy Spirit that brings healing. And then he goes on to say, and he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, and to set the captives free. There's three different levels of healing. And you don't approach every situation with the same understanding of healing. We have to know what healing is necessary. And so, and so it's really important that we grow in our discernment. Now, the first thing that I want you to know, as prophetic healers, because this course is about how to operate under the prophetic anointing to counsel people into healing, it's all about Him. It's all about Him. It's all about Him. It's not about anything other than Him. And there are many, many really brilliant courses and counseling courses, and they all have a part to play. What's your problem? I've seen some monkeys. Oh, monkeys. They all have a part to play. But at the end of the day, there's only one true healer, and his name is Jesus Christ. And we can go to many different places that put a patchwork on, that put a plaster on. I want to tell you, nobody needs a counselor forever. We need to meet the counselor. And so often what happens is we find somebody else that becomes the crutch that we need to cope. My friends, we have somebody. We have a counselor. His name is the Holy Spirit. We have a healer. His name is Jesus. And so what is our role as prophetic counselors to bring them back to the King and to the Lord and to the one that created them? And the thing is that we bring our level of truth to our feelings. I'm going to say that again. We bring our level of truth to our feelings. We don't lift our feelings up to the level of truth. Truth is truth. This is the word of God and this is the truth. And if you want to believe the truth, you will shift. You won't expect truth to shift. I've heard so many people say to me, but you don't understand. My child is this and my child is that. And, 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 my, and, and they're this and they're that and they're bipolar and they're schizophrenic and they're ADD. And the list just goes on and on and on. So are you telling me that that is the ceiling that God put on their life? Are you telling me that they were created to live like that? Are you telling me that God's only destiny for that person is to live like hell and hope they're going to go to heaven? Because anybody that's living under that force of darkness that is occupying their mind and their heart and their feelings is not living in freedom. 
And the Bible says that the truth has come to set us free. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But what is the truth? It's not your truth. It's not the truth of worldly wisdom's diagnosis. Now I want you to hear me very clearly. Worldly wisdom's diagnosis has a part to play. Because we have to know what we're dealing with to get a solution. But it's not the end result. That is not the ceiling. That is not the place that you stop. I remember many years ago, my father-in-law um, took some, 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 uh, something to stop him smoking. And then he smoked on top of the medication he took to stop smoking. And he started vomiting profusely. And so they took him to Addington Hospital. And while he was at Addington Hospital, they gave him um, an antiemetic, a stopping a vomiting, stimatol. They gave him stimatol to stop him vomiting. And he would go every month for his repeat prescription. And for two years, every month, he got stimatol. And for two years, every month, he used stimatol. And no one ever said to him, it was a temporary thing that you were meant to use while you were vomiting for that little bit of time. And if you read the side effects of stimatol, they are horrendous. And he ended up dying with the result of the side effect of stimatol. Now, that's what happens when we put our trust in tablets. That's what happens when we take what should be momentarily and temporary as a little scaffolding to help you and we make it the final decision. And I really want to challenge you and I really want to encourage you and I really want you to think bigger and to think wider. If you want heaven to come into earth in your life in the situation of your family in the situation of your own choice making, what is heaven's perspective of you? What is heaven's perspective of who you should be? What does the original copy look like? I love renovating furniture. I love looking for junk furniture and then finding it and making it come back to its, its original state or giving it some beauty. And you never ever buy a beautiful oak chair that's broken and try and let it look like a metal chair when you're finished. You restore it back to its original oak state. And God is exactly the same. He doesn't take who we were created to be and then put a whole lot of odd parts on us so that we look like something else. And God made us fearfully. He made us wonderfully made. He made us spirit, soul, and body. When we accept Jesus, our spirit man is restored, which means he gives us back our original identity. And the difference in sanctification and the process of changing is how much is your spirit in control and how much are your feelings and your thoughts in control. And so that's what we have to understand. So a brokenness is complicated. But um, it's complex, but healing is very simple. We take them back to their creator. Isaiah 61 says that he has anointed us to heal the brokenhearted, set the captives free, and to release from prison those that are in prison. Um, Isaiah 11 verse 2, and I want to pray this over all of us. Jesus operated under this mantle. The spirit of the sovereign Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom. Father, I want to pray for the most incredible wisdom to be released in this time over people as they sit and they listen to your word. The spirit of understanding. I want to pray for discernment, for knowledge, for a grasp, as a, an absolute revelational grasp of what you, your word says and what truth is according to your word. 
the spirit of counsel. Father, I thank you that there is an anointing to counsel people. I thank you that you have got a spirit that's available for us to use to counsel, to speak truth into people's lives, that your truth is revealed into their hearts. And I thank you for that mantle and that anointing today. The spirit of might, where it's not our might, but it's yours. It's your victory, it's your power, and it's your might. The spirit of knowledge, the perception, the discernment, the awareness of true knowledge and true word. And we lay down every bit of knowledge that's our knowledge, and we receive your knowledge. And the fear of the Lord. I want to thank you for a reverence and a moral fear of who you are, God. You are holy. Holy Spirit, you are holy. Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, right standing with God, will be filled. I want to thank you that even today, that any area of a belief system that we have built on our feelings will be shattered as we choose to align with your truth. Thank you for that in your beautiful, incredibly kind, wonderful name, Jesus. Amen. We were all created in the image and likeness of God. That's what Genesis 1, 26 and 28 says. So I want you just to think for a moment about the person you're most worried about. And I want you to make this statement over them. You were created in the image and likeness of God. Won't you do that right now? You were created in the image and likeness of God. We were created three in one, body, soul, and spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 23 says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify, which means purify and make you mentally holy. You through and through, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mark 12 verse 30 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. We are three in one. You know, most of the other systems, the worldly systems, the Eastern philosophies are two in one. They're the yin-yang. They've got to find their good and their evil and come into wholeness. We are three in one. We are spirit, soul, and mind. Spirit, soul, which is your heart. The soul is made up of your heart, which is your imagination, your feelings, your mind, and your strength, body is strength, spirit, soul, and body. That's what we are made up of. Our flesh is the part of us that we all live in. We live in our flesh. Our spirit is what gets awakened. We were all dead in our transgressions, Ephesians 2 says, until we became born again, and our spirit man was made alive. But our programming system is still according to the ways of this world. The way we feel, the way we think, the way we reason, the, our willpower, our thoughts, our intellect, and our IQ is all still programmed according to the ways of this world. And God comes in by His Holy Spirit and He transforms us. The Spirit within us transforms that. And that's where the biggest problem is. And that's why we limit our belief and our understanding to how we feel. My friends, I want you to understand something. We all feel deception. We all believe a lie. We all believe what this world wants us to believe. And it comes out in so many different areas, even about our own children, even about destinies. You see, just because God created 
something that is under the control emotionally, intellectually, or physically, under the control of the enemy, it does not mean that that's their destiny. I've often shared this testimony, but I'm going to share it once again, that um, when, when my daughter was born, she cardiac arrested five times since the first six weeks of her life. And it all started because a midwife had made a mistake. And um, the doctors said to me that she would never be normal. I had a choice in that moment to believe the diagnosis or to believe the truth. They said she would never be normal. He went on to take me aside and say to me, I want you to know it's going to be a very expensive journey going forward. I want you to know that it might be better at some point to put her in a home because she'll never be normal. She has been mentally retarded from all this lack. In that moment, I had a choice, my friends. You see, in that moment, I had to believe deception or the truth. Now, was it deception that she was mentally retarded? That was the enemy's plan. If I came into agreement with that, I would have had somebody living in Sunfield home today. But in that moment, I decided, God, you're the God of truth, and I choose truth. I will not come into agreement with deception. And I'm telling you, that's the point that we all have to come to. Why do we believe the things we do? Because we agreed with deception. Diagnosis is only there to tell us how to pray. It is not the final Purpose. It's not the final solution. The final solution is restoring back to God's perfect plan. And in that moment, I said, God, I said to the doctor, thank you for your information. And remember, I'm a young mommy. I'm, I'm 25 years old. I've just had a baby. It was the most horrendous birth. It was the most horrendous six weeks of my life. And I'm standing there. My hormones are still all screwed up. I'm still coming over the preparium. I'm, it's just been hell on earth for six weeks. And he gives me this diagnosis. And she'd just come out of surgery when he gave me that diagnosis. And I said, thank you for this information. And I took this little girl in my arms and I said, God, you never make a mistake. And I will not believe this. I will not. And I prophesied over her every time I breastfed her. I would often walk into the room and she was blue. She stopped breathing. I'd have to slap her to get her breathing again. I prophesied over her. I, I just said, God, your truth is your truth is your truth. I will not accept less. People came to me and said, Kathy, you better prepare yourself. You're in denial. I said, don't you tell me what I am. I know who he is. And I want to tell you today, she's the most amazing woman. She's an incredibly strong woman. She's got four children of her own. She's a prophet. She's a teacher. She's an educated woman. She's got a degree. Her and her husband are doing amazing things. They go at the end of the month to go and minister in Ireland together, the two of them. She's an amazing, unshakable woman of God. And you know why? Because somebody believed in her destiny. Now, I want to say to you, as people that are fighting for the next generation, whose report are you going to believe? When is it impossible for God to intervene? When is the way maker not able to do something? The only time he can't do something is if you do not believe he can. Because he can. He is who he says he is and he will do what he said he will do. And when you read Psalm 139, it says every single day ordained for us was written in his book before one of them came to be. That means even your death sentence doesn't have to be your death sentence. 
Even when they say you're going to die because you're so sick, that does not have to be your death sentence. If you believe that God said who he is, who he said he is, and you know that there are things that haven't been fulfilled over your life. It's time for us to have a revelation of what it means to be built in the image and likeness of God. You know, God did not say to 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 um to the Holy Spirit and to Jesus, you know, I think it would be amazing if we create some stuff. What do you think? Should we have a debate and what should it look like? He said, That's gonna be. And that's going to be, and that's going to be, and that's going to be. Because he spoke with the authority that said, I'm establishing. And my friends, the difference between chaos and destiny is authority to establish. And we carry that in our mouth. The Bible says life and death is in the power of your tongue. And every time we speak, we are creating. We're either creating death by coming into agreement with death. The enemy, John 10, 10 says that the enemy comes to steal to kill and to destroy. Or we're creating life by coming into agreement with the truth of the word of God. You may not feel it. You may not think it. So what? Truth is truth is truth is truth. But Kathy, I really battle with my thoughts. Well, there isn't a person on earth who doesn't. The difference with somebody that speaks truth and conquers the battle with their thoughts is someone that's learned to recognize deception. The thoughts don't stop. The enemy doesn't stop coming to tell you you've missed it. He doesn't stop trying to come and bring bad feelings on you. That doesn't stop. And that's why we need to understand the wiles of the evil one. But what does stop is that you're not fooled. You're not fooled with what deception looks like. And that's the revelation of being led by the Spirit. Because those who are led by their their feelings will always fall into every pit that the feelings have. But those who are led by the Spirit are unshakable sons of God. And you know what? Nothing is impossible for my God because my God will provide all my needs according to his riches in glory. So we see in Isaiah 61 that it says, He has anointed me to heal the, uh, to heal the broken heart, set the captives free, to release from prison those who are in prison. And then in, in Matthew, I mean in Luke 9 verse 11, this is on page 27 if you've got this, Little manual. Well, I'm going to be ministering out of these two manuals, the, the, the two of them together. Okay. Um, uh, page 27, it's Luke 9, verse 1 and 2. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority. I want you just to look at that for a minute. What is power? It's the dunamis supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. Now that's what happens when we get filled with the Holy Spirit. And we all have the fullness of the Holy Spirit living within us. That's power. How do you receive power? You will receive power, Acts 1 verse 8, when the Spirit comes on you. So if you want more power, spend more time in the presence of God. Spend more time in the Spirit. Spend more time worshipping. Spend more time drinking in the river of life. Just it's not an intellectual exercise. It is a, a spirit exercise. It is surrendering your spirit to his spirit. It's putting, it's having this empty well inside of you and just drinking, <coughs> drinking, drinking, drinking while he fills up your well. You will receive power when the spirit comes on you. But what's authority? Authority is the unshakable belief that God is who he says he is. And authority happens when you say, I'm not putting up with this nonsense. And you know the most incredible thing about authority, you can have authority in a whisper. Because the Bible says, when you've done all else to stand, stand. 
You know, we all think that we're fighting the devil. Can I, can I, can I, Jay, can I help, can I use you for a minute? We all think that we are in a warfare. Give me a wrestle hold. <laughs> we all think that that's what we're doing. We're wrestling the devil. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, and that includes your own flesh. Can you push against me? Push against me. You just stand. You just stand. When you've done all else to stand, stand. You see, because when you stand unshakably, the devil gets tired. And we've got to learn to stand. And that means saying, that's not truth. This is truth. And I'm going to stand on that truth until something changes. How long does that take? That's up to God. But one thing I can promise you, I can promise you unshakably, that if you stand on the truth, the truth will manifest. If you stand and you speak on the truth, the truth will manifest. I was 17 when God called me into ministry, after I tried to commit suicide. And at that point of time, I didn't even understand the things of God, never mind ministry. And I, I just said, are you crazy? Are you joking? I was 20, 21 when, again, I was called into ministry for the second time. And from that moment, I believed God. And I had this avalanche of people come to me and say, you know, a woman can't minister. You know, a woman can't teach a man. You know, and the list just went on and on and on and on. And I just said, well, you know, God, I believe you. If you created me to bring the word, then that's what I'm going to do. And so I prepared sermon after sermon after sermon. I preached to the stones. I preached to the curtains. I preached to the hills. I preached to everything I could find. I was always preparing ministry. I was digging in the word, studying the word, reading the word. And I would just preach to everything I could find. And the more people said, you know, you're never going to be able to do this because you're a woman. The more I said, isn't that amazing? And the more I would preach. And I want to tell you the first time that I was asked to share like a two-minute thing at a home cell because, you know, you can share but don't teach. Well, I had about 50 sermons to choose from and the two-minute ended up being half an hour. And so I want to say to you, stand, 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 stand. Why do we have to stand? Because the enemy steals your destiny. He's always going to come at you and your children at the area of their calling. He's always going to come in the very area that God created him to be. Stand. When you've done all else to stand, stand. Uh, Luke 9 verse 1 and 2 said, When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority. Power is a gift from the Holy Spirit that, that ushers supernatural into the earth. Authority is that unshakable revelation of the Spirit that says, You can't fool me and I'm not intimidated. And you know, the minute that you start walking in authority, how do you know when someone's got authority? Because they start having the fruit of the Spirit. They start representing the character of God in their life. And how do you know they have authority beyond that? Because the demons respect them, the angels respect them, and people start seeing something in them that they want. Then he said, this was the authority he gave them, to drive out demons to cure the disease, and to heal the sick. Now, there's three different things that he gives us the ability to do. But there's also three things that he was anointed to do. So we've got to start seeing that when we're dealing with people, there's different levels of dealing depending on different forms of brokenness. So the first thing he says to drive out demons. When are they demonized? 
when and I want to tell you it's not about oppression and, and possession all that junk is old fashioned old understanding and it really isn't the revelation of truly what happens in a person it's about how much have you opened the door and how much of a stronghold has the enemy got to control you. And the more you've opened the door and the more strong he's, the Bible says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil a foothold. So we see that he can have a little toe in. That is not oppression or possession. That is an open door. And then he can take more and more and more possession until eventually you are completely possessed. But we have to understand there's three levels of being able to bring healing. So drive out demons, and that happens in deliverance when somebody is completely overwhelmed by one, two, three, ten, a hundred demons that have taken a hold of their life. And I'm going to unpack that a little bit more. To cure the disease. Disease means an infirmity that's happened to your flesh. So we're talking disease happens here. I've got a spider bite. That's a disease. I'm in a lot of pain, but it's still a disease. It's not affecting my soul. It's just affecting my flesh. So when you get a flu or you get something that happens to be going around and you better run down, you get an infirmity. It's just in the flesh. It's got no eternal value and you can quickly just sort it out and get healed. But if every single year you end up getting the same thing over and over again, well, now we're dealing with something else. Now we're sitting with something that's somehow found an attachment. And so we've got to realize that now, how do you know something's got an attachment? Because there's repeated patterns. There's a repeated patterns of the same thing happening over and over again. So infirmity affects this. He says, I have anointed you to cure diseases. So we are anointed to heal sickness. Of the infirmity. You can pray for people to get healed. You can, there's different types of healings. If you look at the dunamis gift of, gifts of healing, there's different types of healing. You can pray for a toe. You can pray for a backache. You can pray for all these different things. Because whatever you need healing for, there's a type of healing for that. But then it says also that to heal the sick. Now what is the sick? It's people that are caught up with problems here in the soul. It means to be feeble, to be weak, to be impotent without strength. Now, many of the things that we now call autoimmune diseases or psychological diseases of all the things that we label people with because we can't actually find a solution for them are actually sicknesses, which means soul diseases. Diseases of the soul. It means there's an axis sitting in your soul and they keep putting a plaster on it, but they're not actually breaking it so that you can come into healing. And I want to tell you now, when we continuously stroke sick people, you're encouraging them to stay sick. We're not there to keep saying, oh, shame, I feel so sorry for you while you wallow in your self-pity. We're there to say this is an area that needs to have an abscess burst Let's help you come into healing. And then he says, deliverance. And deliverance is, is when we go beyond that. So it is three areas that Jesus gave them power, dunamis supernatural power, and authority to say this isn't going to happen anymore, to be able to heal things. Now today I'm giving you a foundational teaching on the fact that the Bible says in Ephesians 6 verse 11 that we need to know the schemes of the enemy. We need to know the schemes of the enemy. It says here, finally be strong in the Lord, Ephesians 6 verse 10. NIV, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. We need to know the devil's schemes. You can't stand against something that you don't know how it operates. And so the first thing I want you to look at if we carry on with Ephesians 6, it says 
that we, our wrestle is against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this age, and hosts of wickedness in high places. Your wrestle is not against flesh and blood. We're not fighting people. Malema is not the problem. Our president's not the problem. We're not fighting people. We're not even fighting our own flesh. We're fighting a demonic realm. The leader of that demonic realm is the prince of darkness, Ephesians 2. He is Satan, the devil, the prince of darkness. He is the god of, this, of the air. This is where God, when God sent him out of heaven. He sent him out of the heavens and he placed him in the kingdom of darkness. And that is his realm, the kingdom of darkness. Some people call it the second heaven. We have authority over our realm. And what is our realm? It's the earth. And it's the environment. And it's the land. And it's everything that belongs to us. We have authority over everything that God has given us. You have authority over your children. Even if the school system tells you you don't, you do. We have authority on earth. That's where we have authority. Satan stole that authority away from Adam and Eve so that he could possess the earth. But Jesus took it back. So any area that Satan is still controlling on earth is because we haven't taken back our authority. And so he's looking for people that will do that. And then we see, and that's where he's got control, the kingdom of darkness of the air, and with them are principalities, which are demonic princes, powers, which are area um, magistrates and judges, and then rulers of darkness of this age and hosts of wickedness in high places. And then the third heaven is the kingdom of heaven, the paradise of heaven, and then beyond that is where we start entering into the fullness. Jesus came to open the heavens so that we don't have to live like darkness. We are the light, and we establish light, and we get a revelation of what light looks like. Now I'm just going to be unpacking this for you a little bit more. It's in your books. Um, If you turn to, to page... If you turn to page 43, you'll see this diagram there. There are four levels of demonic activity. Paul talks about them as principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this age, and hosts of wickedness. Because that's from strength to weaknesses. The principalities are demonic princes. And we know that when Daniel was praying, that, the, that, that Gabriel came and Michael came to fight the princes the demonic princes that were over the area and to open them and to push them back. Powers are prisoners. They, they take people prison. They're magistrates. They are jurisdictions. They're demonic uh, judges. And so they take people control. Every area that we live in has a different power. Our country has a principality. And so God puts us as lights into a dark place to be able to open the heavens and shift. But we have to know how to shift it that we don't get into trouble. And then we see rulers of darkness of this age. Now, rulers of darkness come and control this. They come and control our thinking, our reasoning, and our feelings. And they align us to the thinking and the patterns of this world, Eastern philosophies, religion, intellectual spirits, and everything else that is mind control. And that is what happened with Eve. The deceiving snake came and took a hold of her thinking and her reasoning. And by doing that, he established a neural path that took her right out of the kingdom of heaven. And then we have hosts of wickedness in high places. 
Now, if you look at James 3, and it's also in your book, if you look at page 29, it says in James, sorry, it's James 1, I think. Um, and I just want to show you how this, how this unpacks. Okay, so where is my scripture now? Let me quickly find it. James 1, and I think it's verse 13. Oh, here we go. Thank you. James 1 verse 13 to 15 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. That's really important to understand that God is never involved in anything evil. He's not involved in sicknesses. He's not involved in disasters. He doesn't come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Nothing about God is evil. He's a good, good father. And all he ever does is turn everything evil into good. And that's his per perfect plan. It says, but each one is tempted when by their own evil desire he's dragged away and, and, and tossed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. So the enemy comes here and he tries to come and appeal to our flesh. And that's exactly what he did with Eve. He came and he appealed to her intellect and her feelings. And he offered her something that built up her flesh. And the moment that he's done that, he comes in, and this is what hosts of wickedness do, and he just plants a little seed in our soul. But that seed grows. And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And as it grows, it starts shutting off our spirit man. Now at this point of time, you've got a block. At this point of time, you're sitting just with an open door where the enemy had a foothold in, and he came in and he planted something. But when it starts growing to this level, you now need deliverance. Because now the enemy has come and he's landed on that. And so you see, a thought and a decision can, can give you a block. It can establish a neural path. It can arrest you emotionally. It can stop you going forward because of shock, because of trauma, because of pain. But if you don't deal with it and you allow it to grow, the enemy will come and land on there. And then by the time you get to this place, you become a prisoner to sin. And that's exactly what he says in Romans when he says, God has not made you a slave again to fear. He's made you a son. And then if they don't deal with it at this point of time, at some point of time, that thing completely takes over and that person. So they start up here by being an offended person. But they end up here by being a person full of rage. Because the demon has taken over. Start up here with, with just a hurt, end up here with being bitter. You know, bitterness has seven demons attached. So a person that is, that's opens that door is going to end up resulting in there. So I'm going to just spend a little bit of time now. Are you, are you okay? Are you with me? So if you look at this picture, you see it takes two things for sin to be established. Temptation and desire fusing. The, coming together. It takes a pregnancy. There needs to be a, a, a sperm and a seed. And it takes a pregnancy for the enemy to get a hold of your life. So, what is the sperm? It's the enemy's deception. What is the seed? Your heart to believe it. The enemy comes with temptation and you say, what's wrong with me? Why am I thinking like that? No, it was never you and you weren't thinking like that. It was something the enemy brought out from the outside, and in that moment we either came into agreement with it or we resisted it. 
And everything about our life is the choice of agreement or resisting. And he never stops. Now, hosts of wickedness are atmosphere demons. This is the lowest form of demonic attack. They're little demons. They, they, they talk about Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies, and here we get demonic flies. They come, in, in, uh, they come like a wave. A whole lot of these little demons come together. And they, wherever they come together, they bring chaos. They, they, they come to do five things. They tent, they torment, they tire, they terrorize, or they troublemake. So now how many of you know that when you're about to go to a church service on a Sunday, that's just mm-hmm. the perfect moment for chaos to break out in your home? Because you just had a host of them arrive. <coughs> they come into our homes. They're atmosphere demons. They attach to things. If they can find, demons need a body. And if they can't find a breathing body, they'll land on an object. They are wind, they're pneuma, they're spirit. They need to land. And so they will either land on objects. That's why if you've got a, if you've got a, a, a thing that's, that's been sanctified or, or dedicated to darkness, it's got demons attached to it. And you can't pray over a cursed thing. You've got to destroy it because it has a legal right to have that curse on it. And then if they can't land on that, then they'll look for an animal. And if they can't land on that, ultimately they want a human being. Because that's the highest form of promotion for them. So they come in as a wave. You know that there's been an atmosphere shift because you can feel the atmosphere shift. Now if you're a person who relies on your feelings, in that moment you're going to say, what's wrong with me? Because angers just come in like a wind into the room. And you feel agitated and angry. What's wrong with me? And it's not you. It's not you. Don't allow a conception when it wasn't you in the first place. Remember, temptation needs an egg to land on. And the moment that it's landed, it starts producing an offspring. It is a pregnancy and it grows and grows and grows. So, yeah. Of course you may. Why don't you come talk loudly so that... Um... I just felt while I was sitting here, when Kathy spoke about the demonic influence being on an object, I just really felt like the Holy Spirit is saying that there's some of you here that some people have told you before to get rid of some stuff in your house and you haven't as yet because you didn't understand the necessity behind it. You didn't understand Erica the why behind it. So... Um, I just want to encourage you that, as as Kathy was saying, the difference is the fact that the this thing that's on the object has got a legal right to be there, so you have to get rid of it. Um, especially some of the older ladies that's gathered some sentimental things, but there's stuff on it. So I just felt like just to re-emphasize that that to uh, the reason why you need to get get. Uh, Thank you, Erica. So we'll just hover there for a little bit longer. The Bible says if you bring a cursed object into your home, you like it will be cursed. Because it has an attachment. Now, everything about fashion always pulls us into darkness. Fashion is established by rulers of darkness of this age... To pull us out of light into darkness. Everything the enemy's planned is against the children of God. The enemy's not fighting the world that owns that. It's fighting the children of God. Now, because we are such spiritual beings that have emotions and live in a body, he knows that if he can captivate 
this that we can't rise up in the spirit. And so it's really important to know that if you have an object that's been cursed, and you know, we all love to travel and we love to go to beautiful places, and I love the East. I'm, I'm passionate about the East. But I'm telling you now that everything that comes out of the East is not natural and spiritual. Everything that's created is to draw spirits to it. And there are so many things that we buy just wonderfully and because it's just so pretty, but it actually is a cursed object. And you need to ask God. I'm going to pick up on that because, because Erica felt to highlight on that. Fairies are hosts of wickedness in high places. Fairies are demons. Everything about fairies is taking a child into an imaginary world where they connect with it's their de- demons. What do these demons look like? Well, they look like spiritual flies. They look like wasps. They look like gnats. When you see them in a dream, you dream about being stung by an insect or you dream about bullets coming at you because it's always multiple things. And God is telling you in a dream that this onslaught is against your home. And this level of demonic onslaught comes specifically to disrupt your atmosphere. Unicorns are not beautiful little horses. They're imaginary fantasy animals with a whole drive of the new age behind it. And we wrestle these things and we say, well, you know what? I'm not legalistic. I'm not. No, you're not. But you're also not breaking through and going into another level in Jesus. You're also not having your children break through. And you're wondering why they're having nightmares and why they're so angry and why there's, there's such, there's such um, aggression towards parents. Because these lovely little things that look so innocent have great power. They come to torment, to troublemake, and to terrorize. You know, I'll just share a little testimony here. Many years ago, somebody asked me to pray for her son who just suddenly became incredibly aggressive. And I said to her, praying a bit, and I said, because this is about prophetic counseling. And I said to her, "Um, I just feel like there's a toy that he's harbored that actually has a legal right to bring destruction. So she said, no, he hasn't. I'm very careful with his toys. I said, oh, I might be wrong, but that's what I'm seeing. And I saw a toy. Anyway, about three or four weeks later, she came back to me and she said, you know, it's the most amazing thing. We were cleaning out his bedroom and one of his friends had bought the exact toy that you just described and it was in his toy box and we didn't even know it was there. So she said, what shall I do? I don't want him to see me getting rid of it. I said, you show him you're getting rid of it. You tell him I'm, just, I'm smashing this thing because this thing has a spirit attached that's caused you to behave badly. And when we start understanding these things, there's such power. She did exactly that, prayed through the room, repented that it had been in the room, and life came back to normal. Thank you for highlighting that, Erica. But if you want to be free of atmospheric things in your home, make sure you haven't invited them in by the things that you actually carry in your home. We've got to usher in peace. Just, it's, it's, it's just, I mean, I can tell you so many stories, and I'm not wanting to stretch this out more than I need to. But um, the, one, the one family said to me that they've had a lot of chaos, the marriage problems in their home. And as I went into the home, because we often go and pray to clean out houses, as I went into the ro- home, I felt that there were objects of demonic worship in their home. And I said to her, you know, I feel like there are things in your home that, that aren't glorifying God. No, there's not. Anyway, we prayed through the house. I couldn't see anything. Walked through back to the, to the lounge. And as I did that, something smashed in the bedroom. 
And there was something that had been in the cupboard that literally fell out like Dagon and smashed on the floor because we'd identified it. And she said, I didn't even think of this. Um, And so we need to just ask the Holy Spirit to show us. If you want to break free of this level of onslaught, make sure there's no open door to invite it to come in. How do you know it's coming? Because you feel the waves coming in. And this is often where we fall to the temptation because we go by our feelings. Your feelings is not the highest revelation of truth. You can feel agitated. It doesn't mean you are agitated. It means you've picked up an atmosphere. You can feel angry. It doesn't mean you are angry. It means you picked up an atmosphere. In South Africa, there's a lot of road rage. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of rage. And it's in the atmosphere. We either come into agreement and say, what's wrong with me and live under condemnation? Or we recognize that actually that is in the atmosphere and I'm going to stand against it. Remember, how do we fight it? We stand. The greatest way to open your heavens at home is through worship. Worship. Plead the blood of Jesus, anoint your home, and worship. Usher in peace. The kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. The word of God says the kingdom of heaven is within me. So you establish kingdom within you. What does it feel like? Peace. Righteousness, joy. What does peace feel like? A quiet mind. How do you know if you're operating under peace? Your mind is quiet. How do you know if you're not? Your mind is chaotic. And that's if your mind's chaotic, there are things God wants you to deal with. So that's that level. Thank you for highlighting that, Erica. And then we go to the next level, rulers of darkness. Now you see what's happened here is that little thing that came in and had a legal right to foothold suddenly starts growing and now it's causing a block in your spiritual life. You can't go deeper. You feel like you can't connect with God. People come to me and say, I feel like I can't connect with God. Well, something's attached to your reasoning and it's making you believe a deception. And it's sitting right over here. Now he says at this level, yeah, he comes to heal the brokenhearted. Yeah, he comes to set the captives free. How do you know if you've got a neural path of wrong thinking? You continuously believe a deception. You believe less than the truth of God. You say, yes, that's truth, but. You know, God, I believe Jesus heals everyone, but he didn't heal auntie. You've just got a neural path that says, I doubt God. And somewhere he's going to let me down. So the, you, you hear truth, but you can't receive truth. Because this neural path is sitting there. How do we fall under the control of this? Through intellectual worldly understanding. The wisdom of this world is foolishness. You can have five million degrees and you'll still be foolish. Because it's not your intellectual studies that makes you wise. It's the spirit of wisdom that makes you wise. Now, is there anything wrong with getting educated? Absolutely not. We need the wisdom of this world to be able to find doors open in this world to be able to usher in the wisdom of heaven. So God uses the very things that we've studied to be able to find a way in so that heaven can permeate earth. So I'm not saying don't get educated. I'm saying don't believe that your education is the solution to God's purposes. Your education is just a a key to unlock a door. You need more of him. You need this increased, not that increased. And so that's the first thing. Because intellectual demons attached to the mind. How do you know if someone's got an intellectual demon or religious spirit? They're arrogant. They're puffed up and they absolutely rely on their knowledge. 
And that means there's a block in their head that they, 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 they're superior. They're just that little bit higher than everybody else. They make everybody else feel like you just don't have enough because they have allowed the intellectual revelation of this world to give them authority. That authority doesn't shift the heavens and it doesn't shift the earth and it doesn't cast out demons. So God wants to deal with wrong programming and wrong understanding. He wants to deal where we've got the wrong understanding that's caused the block. At this level, it says we are a captive. You're a captive. Because no matter how much you hear, no matter how much truth you hear, no matter how much you sit under the most anointed ministry, you're going to filter it through the block in your head. Is this in line with somebody that could have narcissistic behavior? The answer to that is absolutely yes. Because a narcissist has been, they're sitting somewhere between here. Because they believe that they're so broken that it's everybody else's fault and they can't see that they've got any part to play in the brokenness. Um, ask me that question again because I need to talk a little bit more about that. But I just want to... Okay, so now I'm going to... I see that we... Are, are you still all right? Okay, so intellectual spirit is an arrogant, puffed up way. Yes. They, they're whole... Superior. Superior, okay. yes. Now that's religious intellectual spirit because a religious spirit and intellectual spirit is the same thing, just different information. Mm. Or it's an intellectual spirit where you put your importance on your head, mm. on what your knowledge is. Yeah. And I'm saying this again. Is it important to study? Absolutely. Because the Bible says study and show yourself approved. But whatever we learn in the system is so that we've got a key to bring kingdom into the system. Yeah, so and that's just knowledge, outpouring of knowledge. Yeah. There's no revelation. Exactly. There's no connection here yet. There's no connection there and there's no spirit being led. Because what the Holy Spirit does is he takes what you've learned and he filters through that. And he empowers you through that situation. Um, I'll just give you a little example. I was, I was, I mean, I've tried most of my life and I still ongoingly try to pray Isaiah 11 over myself for the seven spirits before the throne, for a spirit of counsel, wisdom, understanding. I want to tell you now, worship and pray for Isaiah 11 and pray in tongues. That's about all you need to just go further in God. And I remember going, I was, I was a nursing sister at the time doing midwifery, and I came on to duty, um, and there was a lady that had been admitted for, um, she was a threatened miscarriage, and they'd admitted her to bed rest and what have you. And, um, and as I looked at her, God said to me, she's not threatening a miscarriage. She's got impacted feces. So I thought, how do I tell her this? Or how do I even talk to her about this? Because you see, the prophetic call is to be able to look at, the, at what's actually happening, but to find the truth in it. And that's how we live, spiritually led with whatever knowledge we've got. And so I said to her, um, have your bowels been working? She said, yes, they have. So I said, do you have a really strange smelling diarrhea and it's just watery all the time? She said, yes, it is. I said to her, I don't think you're having miscarriage. Anyway, so I mean, she said to her, I, I couldn't get all of the doctor to tell him because it was Saturday afternoon. So I said to her, I think I need to help you. And I did a manual extraction. And instantly she was healed. Instantly she was fine. And because what happens with, with an a, a impacted feces is that you get this hard big lump and then you start oozing down the side, they often come in with diarrhea. But actually it's not diarrhea. It's actually this plug 
that's been sitting there. And that was a supernatural revelation from God using what I had learned to inject heaven. Another time I was working for doctor's rooms and this, um, this man came in, this woman came in, and as she came in, I said to her, how are you feeling? And I looked at her, and as I looked at her, I, I saw the skin color, and I saw her expression, and she said, I'm in such pain. And she went into the doctor, and as she walked in, I felt God say to me, she's got pancreatitis. So she came out of the doctor's room, and I said to him, she's got pancreatitis, hasn't she? He said, oh, no, she hasn't. I'm sending you off for water, 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 water. I said, she's got pancreatitis. Anyway, a week later, the results came back, and he came back to me, and he said, she's got pancreatitis. I said, yes, I know. So what is that? It is when he takes what you've learned, but he anoints it with supernatural information, and everything about prophetic counseling is having information, but then getting supernatural revelation so that God can bring the breakthrough. So we don't stop with information. We get the supernatural revelation. Is this helpful? Yeah. Well, something else I wanted to say about these blocks. These blocks are very real. I want to tell you now, and I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to put a little bit more focus there as well, because I think if I rush this, we're not going to understand it. A neural path. The Bible says, train up a child in the way that they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart therefrom. Hmm. Now that is incredibly powerful, and any person who's ever been a world dominator will tell you, give me children under the age of seven and I'll give you the next generation. Mm -hmm. Because just train them up and they will become soldiers of whatever you've taught them. Now, God says, train your children up in the way that they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from them. Unshakably root them on the truth of the word of God. But we don't train up our children in the way that we should go. We train up our children in the ways of this world. And most of us that got born again after seven were completely trained in the way of this world. And so when we get born again, we filter our new revelation through an old wineskin and an old revelation, and then we modify the gospel to suit our need. You know, God, God is incredible. He's, he heals everybody, but you know, he can't heal my migraine because I, I'm special. I had a woman come to me once and said to me, you know, it's taken me so many years, um, this depression that I battle, it's going to take God a long time to heal me. And I thought, yeah, well, that's if you believe that. You'll live the rest of your life depressed, waiting for the moment he's going to heal you. Or you can just believe the Bible that says, put on a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness, and your heaviness will go. It's your choice. She's still depressed. Because the neural path, whatever you believe, is what you're going to receive. And the truth of the matter is we do not believe the word. We believe our version of the word. And a neural path <coughs> excuse me, is an established pathway in your thinking pattern that says this is what it looks like. And when any new information comes, you just read it through that old information. I'm going to give you some examples. Domination says women are inferior to men. The Bible says under the curse, a woman will be secondary to her husband. Jesus came to break the curse. From the moment Jesus died on the cross, there was no inferiority or superiority. Headship doesn't mean domination. Headship means to guide, to guard, and to govern, to protect. <coughs> Excuse me. To protect. Submission doesn't mean subservience. It means honoring each other and deciding on the best choice. Now, if your understanding 
of the role of a woman is according to the neural part of this world that says women are secondary to men, then no matter what you hear and no matter what you learn, you will always see yourself as secondary. And you will always believe that deception and you will have that as a limitation and you will get so frustrated and so rebellious and so angry because of this neural path in your own head. Now that is a ceiling you've allowed to place on your head. But the moment that we get freedom of a neural path, you never have to defend yourself ever again. I don't need anyone's permission to be who I am. I've already got permission from God. And so you learn how to honor other people, how to love other people, how to respect other people, but to be everything God created you to be. 